0: is a networking expert. She is the author of Build Your Own Dream Network, which has been called a masterclass in networking. She is a member of the National Speaker Association and speaks and delivers workshops on networking, as well as career advancement and leadership. She has worked with a long list of organizations, including Google, Capital One, Bank of America, Comcast, and the Tory Birch Foundation. If I went through them all, it would take up an entire half an hour, so we'll stop at those. She's been called one of the 25 smartest women on Twitter by Fast Company, and God knows we need more smart people on Twitter, and one of the mo- the 10 most well-connected people in the New York City startup seen by Inc. Magazine. She's also my friend. Welcome, Kelly Hoey, to the podcast. I am so happy to be here having this conversation with you. Well, I'm happy to have you here. You know, networking is one of my favorite topics. It's a skill I believe we all need to master, both personally and professionally. But before we get to that and how we do it during a pandemic, of all things, I'd like to start with asking what I ask all of my guests.
1: Where are you from? Um, Victoria, British Columbia. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and how in the world did you get from Victoria, British Columbia to New York City? Um, I, by default, I went
1: to law school. It was sort of anticipated that I would do an advanced degree. So I went to law school cause that was in my sort of little narrow world of thinking what careers were that was sort of better than the options of an MBA or um, uh, medical school and medical school was for sure not going to happen. Uh, and I graduated from law school in 1991 and at that time salaries in Toronto were so superior to the salaries in Vancouver, like double or more. Wow. And the cost of living in Vancouver and Toronto were about the same. So Mm -hmm. I I ended up in Toronto because it was like Let's just follow the money, honey. Like, let's just head east, right?
0: <laughs> I think a lot of us did that in the 80s and the 90s. So It was, which direction is the money going first? Exactly. And I was, I was, you know, kind of more interested in corporate law, and that was a better place to be.
1: And then um, a relationship was what brought me down to New York in 1998. Uh, and so New York City has been home for an awful long
0: time. And how, I have to ask this question, because it's actually – so tied into networking for certain but how did you get from being an attorney to being a an author a networking expert a speaker you, i was going i'd say you travel around the world but not necessarily right at the moment we can get to that part later H- how did that happen i know i met you when you were at 85 broads which is no longer under that name i believe it's called elevate now although I, i've kind of lost track of what they're doing so you might be more up on that than i am but that's when i i uh, our paths initially crossed. Right. So I still had a very, I would say, I practiced
1: law in New York from 98 to 2002, then decided I wanted to make a career change and still being in a very narrow mindset of like, where is the right home for my skills? It was like, okay, I'm practicing law. I could go in house. No, interview didn't want to do that. Okay, what do I enjoy doing in my day? And I thought, well, okay, I, I know lawyers, I've been a lawyer. I do a lot of mentoring. Where is there a role within a law firm that would allow me to kind of benefit and piggyback on this legal experience and do something else? So I moved into attorney training and professional development. uh, And from there, uh, moved into legal marketing. So that was about sort of a five and a half year time frame before you and I met. It was when I was in the marketing role and I was building out the alumni program for a global law firm, and I had been tasked with this responsibility, but other than my own imagination and work ethic, I wasn't given any kind of directional resources. So it was like, okay, how do I make this happen? So I looked around and I would be interviewing and talking to people like, how did McKinsey do it? How did this accounting firm do it? How did these other law firms do it? And all of them had sort of staffs and budgets. And I'm like, well, that's nice. (laughs) <laughs> I don't have that. How am I going to do this? And that's when I hit upon 85 broads, And that was an informal alumni program out of women who worked on Wall Street. And I got involved as a member so I could like, literally lift the hood on the organization to see how you could have such um, a dynamic community and enthusiasm without a whole lot of infrastructure. Like Mm -hmm. there wasn't a lot, there was a lot of volunteer kind of momentum to that network. And I thought, this is what I need because I don't have the other, you know, kind of tools to build this alumni program. And so I got very, very involved with 85 Broads, which led to Janet offering me, the founder of 85 Broads, offering me the role of president. And it's once I stepped out of like the legal profession and it, it, you know, I could have been in accounting. I could have been in court. Like once I stepped out of what I knew, right, where I thought my skills belong, once somebody else kind of said, Hey, there's a bigger world for who you are and what you do that kind of unlocked things. So there was the, the kind of the push and the mentorship from Janet, but there was also being part of a much more diverse network that just made me see sort of greater horizons and possibilities for my career. But it was also the lesson from 85 Broads of, you know, we can sign up for things, but how we show up, how we choose to take advantage of um, the opportunities in front of us. Like, you know, as you remember from 85 Broads days there, yeah, you could volunteer or you could just attend. There was, you could have a, excuse my language, a half-assed, you know, profile on the website, or you could take care to fill it out. You could blog on the site or not. I took advantage of everything. So my skills and opinions and points of view were in front of a lot of people. And that just consistency of using those tools led to opportunities.
0: Yeah. It's interesting that you said that because in episode 21, I had on Dr. Christian Bausch and we were talking, he wrote a book on, hopefully people have listened to it already because they're steady listeners on my podcast, but maybe not. But he wrote a book on serendipity on the art and science of this. And one of the things that he talks about is you know, what you do when these moments arise. It's not enough to have this opportunity sitting in front of you. It's what you choose to do with it, which is is really what you're talking about. And for those who don't know who Janet is that you were referring to. It's Janet Hansen, who was um, the founder. I don't, I haven't seen or heard from Janet in a long time. Now she's on the top of my, she's on the top, top of my, of my head right now. So let's go on through this. So you, you, you got involved with that. You started to build your networks. Everything starts to move along and down the road, somewhere along the line, you wind up writing a book Yep, titled how to build, how to build, uh, to build your own dream network. So, Can you tell us how how, how do you do that, especially in the pandemic? We can get to the pandemic part later.
1: So so how you network during a pandemic or how you write a book? (laughs) I mean, writing a book during a pandemic. How
0: you build your own own network. How do you build your dream network? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I think people need to realize they have networks.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. We we always sort of think, oh, my God, I got to go. And, you know, you you hear the word networking. You think about it. You think you have to go and talk to strangers. You think that, you know, someone's someone who you, you know, a stranger, you know, is going to kind of anoint you um, or open doors or whatever else. You mean Uh, they're not? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know. My next book is going to be titled um, I'll Take the Silver Platter Now because I would really would like something just handed to me on a silver platter. But that being said, we're dealing with what we have right now. So I think people need to realize they do have networks It may not be perfect, it may be inadequate, Um, but they have one because, you know, likely I would think all the listeners of your podcast, you know, maybe they have jobs, maybe they volunteer, maybe they have families, maybe they live in a neighborhood, Mm -hmm. they go to school, like all of that, you know, you live in a building in New York City, you have dormant, like you have, like all of that is part of your network and Mm -hmm. all of those people have networks. So I always sort of say, start from the place of how are you paying attention to caring, feeding, looking after the people you already know, because they know people and those people know people. And that's how you kind of, you know, get your ideas or your aspirations spreading further. Um, So that's, you know, kind of one of those things. I mean, you know, part of this is people listen to what I'm saying They're probably thinking, yeah, but Kelly, how do I, and I'm like, ditch what you think networking is. Ditch the old notion that it is schmoozing and it has to be at a cocktail party and that you're powerless and that the only people who can grant you networking favors are muckety-mucks with a fancier title. Your opportunities can come from anywhere. Um, Your opportunities can come because of a tweet. Your opportunities could come because, you know, you were, you were responsive to someone's LinkedIn post, like networking, networking opportunities come because you were kind to an intern, like networking opportunities can come from everywhere. So ask yourself, how am I showing up every day for my network?
0: No, I always, um, to me, networking is also, it's about building relationships Mm -hmm. And you don't know where they're, where they're going to be. I mean, I can remember when I first, first started in radio and this is a hundred years ago and I was selling country music. I had barely had an idea what I was doing. And I went to this woman who had just started out on her own, sitting on her couch, telling her why she should buy country radio music for ads, ads on the station for her, her growing agency at the time. And I built a relationship with her. Well, you know, P.S. Down the road, that was Joanne Harmelin, who went on to create one of the largest media buying services, probably in the country at this point. I've kind of lost touch with her at this point. But because I was just nice and normal, we were, you know, from you all, I think also with exactly what you said, people think it's only these people that are in positions of power, but you don't know where people are going to wind up.
1: Exactly. Particularly right now. I mean, that intern could start a company, right? Mm-hmm. That the, I've already had the boss who was like, you know, 30 years younger than me or 20 years younger than me or close to 20 to 30 years younger than me. Like I've already had that situation. So you just don't know. And you don't know who people know, as you know, from working in New York city, you know, if you, if you look at the person in front of you and think, ah, they're just the barista at Starbucks <laughs> or they're just the receptionist at the you know, the, you know, when I was in law firm, just the everyone's got something else going on in their lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just in your face That's in New York. Out. Yeah, it's, it's just such in your face in New York New because York, someone's, you know, writing a screenplay or they're doing something like everyone's got some side hustle, you know. And so you may overlook opportunity because you're just looking at them on the face value of the role mm-hmm. they're in as opposed to this is a person with relationships, Oh, I Mm -hmm. I had an amazing interview um, earlier today and this guy ended up telling me like he, he was a bellhop in a hotel and he (laughs) made a business connection between a regular client and a a new, you know, I'm going to say new guest at like a new guest at the hotel. And he made, it's it's time he got his biggest tip, like paid tip as opposed to just advice tip, a pay tip (laughs) in his entire time as a bellhop. But you think about it, you know, it was not only him leaning into the conversation and being interested in who this guest was and helping him out. It was also that guest thinking this bellhop is a human being and has something to say and has asked me questions and I should answer them.
0: So part of it is, and I think this is what you're saying. It's certainly what I believe is that it's really about being human (laughs)
1: <laughs> which is really hard for a lot of people.
0: It is really hard because they be because people think they have to be a certain way, especially when you interject these words, networking. You know, it's like networking. It's kinda of like personal brand, which I have to use all the time for keywords, but I hate the word personal brand. Yeah. And I help people with their personal brands, but it's the, the word itself makes people cringe, kinda of like selling. People get crazy about that. But you are constantly selling yourself in some respect. It's just when you're human about it, it's a whole different ball game.
1: It is a totally different ball game. And I think this is what went networking really hard. And I tell people, this is why it is hard. And it will always be hard because you have to deal with human beings and we are difficult.
0: (laughs) You have to deal with human beings. And now we're in a pandemic.
1: This is where, you know, and this is something I've been on a sort of a high horse on for some time that we need to treat digital and the opportunities to connect with people virtually, we need to treat them no differently Mm. than physical in real life. There's, you know, people have treated social and online as sort of some other lesser, less adequate. Oh, this is how you behave online. And this is who you and like, no, no. This is just human communication. This is how we connect. This is how we engage. This is what we do. So, you know, when I meet you offline, you should be the person I saw online, mm-hmm. and vice versa. How can I use online tools to maintain offline relationships? So, when you start thinking about it that way, I mean, every digital interaction just like every in-person physical interaction is a chance to build a relationship so from your email signature line to your um you know your posts and your profile online to how you show up at a zoom well one of the greatest kind of networking experiences in person is going to a creative mornings event and i interviewed tina roth eisenberg the founder of creative mornings um in my book but tina um that ethos in that community offline is the same online mm-hmm. they are helpful they are generous they introduce themselves you know and then they're doing this all in the chat they're, they don't have the creative mornings, you know, host saying, okay, everyone, would you go into the chat and say no? They just they just do Thank this. And so when you're thinking about how do I engage online, think about, all right, what is this online space? Like, what does it represent? So you think about LinkedIn. That's the office or the industry conference. Mm -hmm. you know it reminds me you know from back when being a lawyer i want to put a suit on i want to carry a briefcase (laughs) right so how we talk about things and things that we share should relate to what do people want to know at the office unless you're a food writer they probably don't want to see a picture of your lunch
0: like not the place for it right no and and when people do that it's just stands out like a sore thumb. It's just like, what are you doing? This is not the place for that.
1: Right. If you want to talk about what you wore to speak at an event, put it on Instagram, please. Like it's not the place for it on LinkedIn. And then, you know, I used to say like Facebook was like friends and family. So how do you have a conversation around a dining room table? And then Twitter for me is the world's greatest cocktail party. How are you a good guest? that people want to invite you into conversations and have conversations with you.
0: No, I know that's it's um, exactly. I, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, so I, but I still, I want to go back to this a little bit. So I know, let me go back to this one. I was going to, cause this is kind of crazy, but I remember that you wrote this in your book um, that you're deeply suspicious of people who say they really enjoy stepping into a room where they don't know anybody. And I'm kind of crazy. Cause I like, I like, Talking to strangers, I talk to these days. I talk to strangers whenever there's a human being standing in front of me when I'm outside, including the girl at the CVS checkout. Um, I don't know as many people who
1: are as curious as you are, and I think I think there's a difference. No, I, I,
0: yeah. I, I yeah, no, I know, and I'm aware, I, I'm aware of that, and I know it's challenging, and it's not challenging just for people who are introverted. There are just people who may be as outgoing, but they get uncomfortable in those situations. So. Why do you think that's so, though? Why do you think it's so difficult for the majority of people? We, you know, you feel vulnerable.
1: It's like our Neanderthal brain. Are you friend or foe? Will I be accepted? Maybe because we go into those situations having our strict agenda. Or someone's told us, you attend an event, you leave with five business cards. No one ever says, you know what? go and discover it's the start of a journey. No one says that. And so if you come out of one of those in-person events and you don't have five business cards and a follow-up meet for coffee schedule, somehow you feel like a failure or that group is useless or all of those kinds of things. I think it also gets back to um, we're worried about what we're going to say. I mean, everyone asks me, what's a good icebreaker question, Kelly? Kelly. How do I start a conversation? No, no, no one, no one ever asked me, Joanne, Kelly, how am I going to listen? Oh, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Right. mm -hmm. Right. So I think we have all of this wrong. People worry about how they're going to enter into conversations. And I said, why don't you start worrying about how you're going to pull people in? Right. We have got this equation all wrong. And if we could flip that, Right, we we could flip the understanding. Let's listen. Let's see people and pull them in and make them feel welcome. Well, you know what? Maybe walking into rooms of strangers would be a lot less intimidating.
0: No, I I, I listening is an underrated skill, and I think we're living at a time where. You know, everyone's been given a voice and, and some days I'm not so sure everyone should have a voice, but because it's just gotten that noisy and at times toxic, but it's so noisy that we forget to listen. And I remember early on in my career, another another wise piece of information that was given to me was that if I asked the right questions and I listened to the answers, I'd have everything that I needed. I would learn, I would learn what to do with, with that particular client or how to create a relationship with someone. And we just forget to listen. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say, you know, even if someone takes a call with you, like just listening what's on in the
1: background, you know, and and, like you could hear a dog or you could hear a child and you, you don't need to ask about it, but you can start to piece together stuff in someone's life. And that might help you in terms of how you conduct the meeting, or you conduct, you know, the length of, or or what you ask someone, or how you choose to follow up with them if you start to kind of imagine and piece together their life. Because one of the biggest things with networking is, you know, we want to be seen and we want to be heard, but we have to think about how the other person, like their ability to see and
0: hear us. So it's really, and it's what you're saying is listening below the surface. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not just exactly what you're saying, but what else is here that I can understand who you are more so?
1: Right. Cause what you, you reach out to someone, ask them to jump on a Zoom coffee meeting with you and you haven't thought to yourself, they're in a job that the length of time, you know, the the work hours have extended because of COVID because everyone's work hours have extended. Um, You know, if you'd looked on Facebook, you saw they had kids. You could probably go and look at the county they live in to figure out whether or not their kids are, you know, in school or not. Like, you need to kind of think, oh, what is really going on in their lives? Mm -hmm. Because you may get frustrated that someone doesn't seem willing to connect with you, but rather they're overwhelmed with their own life. And rather than saying, hey, I'd like to talk to you about your career, you know, can I set up a Zoom coffee date? Here's two or three days and times that are available for me, which is advice that people will dish out to people to get informational interviews. You know, rather than thinking, wow, this person's really busy. They got a lot going on, a lot of extra stuff they didn't think they'd still be doing at this point. But I just have this one question I want to ask them. What do you just email them and ask them the one question? <laughs> they might be really happy and really relieved,
0: and they might just get you that answer. Or they might actually respond. I literally had an email, and this is in my NYU uh, inbox today, and someone trying to sell me something in a long, long paragraph. I mean, it just went on for paragraphs on end. But here's the real kicker it started Dear Martin. And again, why would I even, I actually did respond to him because my new thing, I did an episode on where I literally read, I was a rant on LinkedIn invites and I sent him the podcast episode. I told him I'm not Martin, but you know, here's something I think you might, this might benefit you to listen to it because it was just, it was mind boggling and paragraph after paragraph. And clearly I don't even know what it was about, but I, he lost me at dear Martin and you have that People, you know, you have that kind of thing going on at the same time, which is a form of networking, because if you really want to build your business, you should be thinking about, in my opinion, should be thinking about other things before you send a blind email like that.
1: Well, it's also too, it shows the sign of, of um, thinking there's like a template that you can <laughs> send to anyone you're going to sell into, which is like, <laughs> like, like, like having a single template for how you network. That's where all of this gets like a bad rap. Mm -hmm. Rather than saying, who is this person? What is their specific needs? And how do I show them that I understand their needs and how I can help them with a problem that they have or they don't even know they have? Because I understand what's going on with them. And, you know, so listeners of your your podcast could think, well, that's going to take more work. Well, you know what? If you just want to play the numbers game, right? You want to spray and pray and hope you get answers. God bless. Go and spend your time that way, but being more quality focused in your outreach, in my humble opinion, is the kind of thing that produces better results.
0: Oh, absolutely. Because uh, otherwise, you are you're reverting to what we used to call spray and pray. Mm-hmm. It's a number name. Something's going to stick. But as you're talking and you're talking about problems, I'm I'm seeing how you're 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 switch from being a lawyer to marketing because marketing is all about problem solving. And really that's what networking is. It's Mm -hmm. all that. Well, I think networking is part of marketing for yourself, but again, we hate using that word, but it's, you know, where's the, where, how can I help you? It's so rare that I hear people say that unsolicited. Let me, me. let me know if there's any way I can help you, which is something that I don't know where I got it along the way drilled it in my head early on in my career, or maybe it's just the way I was raised, but it's like, well, how can I help you? And hopefully I can help you and not because I'm necessarily looking for a tit for tat, something in return. And a lot of people I think approach it, approach it like that.
1: Right. Well, so I was thinking like, I, as I say in my book, networking is problem solving because we solve our problems with the help of other people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So how can you be the type of person that other people want to help? You know, I love when people do say, is there some way I can help you? But also, too, this is like where we can say this is where there's the beauty of social media and people letting it all hang out. Because if you <laughs> spend more time reading and observing, you can figure out where people got some challenges. <laughs> and you could reach out and offer to have some help. Or you could say, right, I'm going to proactively do things. I mean... You don't have a, you know, like you post about your podcast because you want people to listen to it and benefit from these conversations. So how do you help Joanne? You share the podcast. And that's part of building the, the network and the relationship or you review the podcast. And if people don't think that's part of their networking arsenal, well, you know, switch up your mindset. It absolutely is.
0: Well, that's, thank you. And I couldn't, again, I can't agree more, but I, you know, you know, you and I agree on most of this stuff as as it goes, but you're one of, there's, you're one of the people that I know, and it's a short list that walks the walk on that. Well, kind of a of, you know, that, and and so if you reach out to me and say, Joanne, can you help me? I've got a new book coming up, whatever it is. Can you help me with this? Of course, I'm going to say yes, because you're always generous to me.
1: Well, I think that's that's the build your network before you need it, you know. And Catherine Finney's case study in in the book on crowdfunding is exactly that. Like you build a career for a certain amount of time, and then when you go and switch to do something else, you've got people that are like, woohoo, finally, you know, we can we, <laughs> we can we can give back and do something for you. So that's where the showing up every day, you know, pays dividend in the future, um, and pay, and sort of paying attention. Uh, to what the needs are and proactively, you know, acting on it. So people will help you. But again, not everyone does that. Well, and it's so short sighted. Like I personally, isn't it easier to be helpful, like a little helpful every day to everyone than sit there going, how am I going to network? I got to build, I got people to like me now. Like showing up every day to me is, is so much easier than, let's assume, you know, sort of pre-pandemic, like how you figure out how to navigate a big career fair where you don't know anyone and you've got high expectations and you come out just disappointed. Isn't it nicer if you could like have relationships every day that you could turn to and say, how do I navigate a career fair? Or do you know anyone at Google? I really want
0: to sell into them. Like, isn't that easier? Of course it is. Of of course it is. But again, I think it's – I think we, we get very insular about it or we think where the fear goes back in is that I'm not going to ask. I'm not even going to reach out. So I'm not going to do anything to even set it up like that. I don't know if that makes any sense, but you it, know. It totally, totally makes sense. I mean, we think it's this
1: sort of dirty schmoozy activity as opposed to, you know, this is what, this is life. We get things done with the help of other people. Um, I think we we're all feeling, you know, I would say all the, Articles on the demise of offices and everything's going to go virtual. It's like, I think we've all realized we kind of want to be around each other, and <laughs> not and not just our close relationships. We're missing those incidental interactions, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the barista, the security guard, the coworker, the colleague, the person that you, you know, you always saw if you took this, you know, the bus or the subway at the same time, like those kind of incidental kind of, I want to say superficial, those really true acquaintance type relationships. We realize we're missing those and there are social studies researchers research that shows that those like benefit us in terms of our well-being, our mental health, um, all of those things. so we, we, we're missing
0: that. Absolutely. I, I just last week was it or the week before I went to the dentist. Which is they're very clean, very sanitary, and they've got you know people. They've got their patients split out over time. And I've been going to the same dentist for 22 years. At the end, they're all at the desk. My the hygienist, the dentist, and I am talking a blue streak. I didn't want to leave, and I realized what I was doing. And it was that kind of thing is that I said, I'm sorry. I just, I'm so not used to being physically around people that I know. It's mostly the strangers that I, that I see. And they said to me, Joanne, this happens to everybody when they come in. Nobody wants to leave. I and mean, this is the dentist. Nobody wanted to leave. But, so, it's- so, so I agree with you. And I, and I think the, um the rumors of the end of the office are being exaggerated. I do think there's going to be something more in between. I don't oh. think. I don't think companies are going to frown as much at this idea that if you're not in the office, you're not working. I, I work for organizations like that. I think we've kind of we've kind of seen that that doesn't have to be. But um, something in between is, it's just we're, we're social creatures. We're hardwired to be around other human beings. Exactly. Right now, this is great. Our listeners can't see it, but we can see each other, which makes this much easier for me to do than when I didn't have the visual one. But um, but it's still not the same as if I was sitting in a room with you right now.
1: Right. Right, but we also but, but we we also have the past history of knowing each other, knowing yes. that we can have sort of bring all that rushing back as we're having this conversation. But we do need each other, and and I think what was going forward it is exactly what you're saying. It's this sort of hybrid of how we live, but as part of that hybrid, um, as individuals, we re- need to realize like the offline relationships we need to find way like ways that work for you to keep them engaged and warm using digital or even analog tools heaven forbid send a birthday card a physical <laughs> card with snail mail and how we can start building relationships online that we can take offline and grow those relationships and as i say you know, being amphibious, being able to kind of navigate through all of these different channels where we as human beings are now communicating and building relationships. People who are amphibious are going to be the ones who are successful going forward.
0: Okay, we could talk for forever, but I got a couple of more questions. Um, so I can't believe it's almost a whole year. You're, our, you're, you're, you're a speaker, that's what you do, and the pandemic hits, and all of a sudden you're not doing what you normally do. How have you adapted? How did you figure this out? Because you're the kind of person that isn't just going to sit there and say, oh, poor me. You're going to figure things out. How did that work for you? Or how is it working for you? Because we're kind of still there.
1: You know, and I think there's going to be a whole lot of virtual for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and and or hybrid models of conferences um because I think some people are are going to be some people are going to want to rush out to be in a crowd and other people are going to be like i'm done i'm done I'm mm-hmm. not doing that again so I think that hybrid model um I in some ways kind of felt blessed for last year you know the last year it's given me time to reflect um and how do you build a career and and the business you want that is more? I would say sustainable and not just sort of rush, rush and chasing things. Mm -hmm. Um, And for every online event that, you know, 2020 took away, it delivered up something new that actually enabled me to connect with a bigger, broader audience. And that has been a real joy. You know, instead of flying to London to speak to an audience of 250, I did some programming that got me in front of a hundred thousand. Like that's kind of like, that's cool. Yeah, That's I cool mean, stuff. the organization pivoted. So they said, do you want to be part of it? And I'm like, absolutely. And, you know, some online networking tips that I gave for a virtual internship experience. It's the organization's The Bright Network. Um, what they were doing instead, because their students didn't, couldn't have in-person internships. So instead of me having a chance to speak, as I said, to 250 students, you know, probably you can like pitch your kind of a stuffy you know conference center you know d- delivery of of all this stuff instead you know I'm connecting with students across the globe because they had the chance to do this really even innovative mm-hmm. program so you know there's there's opportunities like kind of pivot pay attention but I feel um ridiculously fortunate that I'm just able to have the time to kind of say okay what what is it that I want going forward to be able to have you know, sort of a sustained effort to deliver the message.
0: I think there's a lot of that going around. I hear it with everyone I speak to. It's just, let me reflect here. What do I want next? I know for myself, and I've said this before on this podcast, the pace that I was keeping before is not a pace that I want to go back to. Now, do I want to keep the pace that we're going right now? No, I, I would like something that that, that that involves socializing. And as I said, if there's a thing I miss, it's going to a bar and having a cocktail with my friends like yourself. So um, before we close out here today, can you give one piece of networking advice to our listeners outside of the fact that they should all buy your book if they do not have it on their bookshelf yet? Yes. Get that book.
1: Um you know what one thing I would do? I would say to people, you know, take a pause and pull out your calendar and look at your calendar for the last three, six, nine, twelve 12 months. You, you pick the period. And, you know, look through and, and find, you know, we've, we've all had like endless meetings and Zooms and whatever else. And someone may have taken time to give you advice or guidance. And I want you to find those people. And I want you to reach out to them and I want you to let them know what you've done with the advice or guidance.
0: That is fabulous, fabulous advice. I love it. Kelly, thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast.
1: Absolutely a thrill to be here to talk with you, to see you as we're recording it. Um, So thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis. If you liked what you heard, please share with your friends. Give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify so other people can find us. And hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you've got a question you'd like answered or a topic you'd like me to cover, please drop me a note. Info at joannetombracus.com. And until next time, remember... Whatever got you to where you are isn't enough to keep you there.